Last year, 98 people on the FBI terror watch list uh, were captured, having already illegally entered the country. It's not like they were about to. They're in the United States. They happen to get captured by the U.S. Border Patrol or a state agency or whatever. There's growing chaos on the southern border of the U.S. and a growing risk of Middle East terrorists coming into the U.S. via Mexico. What's the perspective from the epicenter on this crisis? Hi, and welcome to Inside the Epicenter with Joel Rosenberg, a podcast of the Joshua Fund, a ministry dedicated to blessing Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus. I'm Carl Muller, Executive Director of the Joshua Fund, and today, again, we're talking with Joel Rosenberg in Jerusalem to answer that incredibly important question right now. Joel, welcome. Glad you're with us today from Jerusalem. Happy to be with you, Carl, as always. Thank you. Well, Joel, yeah, I think we're in a very unique time. Maybe you can give some you know, perspective from Israel about your view of what's happening at the U.S. southern border, and what can we say about some of the recent developments that have taken place there? Yeah. So I'm really concerned about uh, what's going on on the, on the U.S.-Mexican uh, border, at the first you know, blush, a person listening to the Inside the Epicenter podcast might think, I don't understand how one of these things doesn't have to do with the other, but actually it does. So, so just a few days ago, as we're recording this, an Afghan national who's on the FBI terror watch list was arrested just outside of San Diego, California, having illegally entered the United States. Now, fortunately, he was apprehended, and when they ran his fingerprints and all you know the other details, it, it, he popped up on the terror watch list. So the good news is he was captured. The bad news is someone from the epicenter, uh, from the Arab Muslim world, who is uh, uh, on our American terror watch list, snuck into your hometown, and we don't know what he was trying to do, right? But thank God he was stopped, and then there'll be a process and an investigation. That's not a unique moment. Unfortunately, it turns out, as far as we know, he's the 83rd person on the FBI's terror watch list, mostly from the Middle East, not entirely, who has tried to illegally enter the United States just in 2023. And as we record this, we're not even halfway through the year. Last year, 98 people on the FBI terror watch list uh, were captured, having already illegally entered the country. It's not like they were about to. They're in the United States. They happen to be get captured by the U.S. Border Patrol or a state agency or whatever. And then they run the, the, the fingerprints and they think, oh, my gosh, this person is a terrorist or an, you know, a, a, a connected to terrorism. So this is the connection between the epicenter and the U.S. border crisis. Now, the border crisis is dominating right? the news and politics. We'll try to stay out of politics uh, right, as best we right. can on this nonpartisan <laughs> podcast. But there's two other elements super quickly. One is – I will tell you as an Israeli, Carl, that we take border security very, very seriously here. Like yeah. we just had 1,400 rockets fired at us. But the reason the terrorists in Gaza shifted to rockets and missiles and mortars mm-hmm. is because we had built a wall mm-hmm. between Israel and Gaza. The terrorists were unable to just walk in with suicide bomber belts and blow up our school children on buses, walk into our cafes walk into you know, restaurants or you know, crowded areas, parades, and blow themselves to smithereens and kill dozens or hundreds of Israelis. We literally built a wall between Israel and Gaza 
the Palestinian terrorists in Gaza looked for two other options. One to go mm-hmm. over the wall, which was rockets and, and the other missiles and so forth. The other way was to dig tunnels under the wall, what we call terror tunnels, to try to move terrorists into Israel clandestinely underground. So, And the same thing is true on the West Bank. We, we have built a wall. Some places it's concrete. You've seen it. Other places mm-hmm. it's a see-through fence with all kinds of electronic gizmos uh, to detect motion and so forth. The bottom line is we don't let people just walk into our country. You get on a plane, you want to come visit, you're welcome. Yeah. Because by the time you bought a ticket on an airplane or a cruise, the Mossad has already run your information to find out if you're a problem. Uh, so when you get here, you, you wouldn't have gotten here if you were if you were a problem. So this is the, my concern. And of course, I wrote a novel about it, too, which is out now. But the we're going to talk is, about that. This, this is a real serious problem yeah. in the United States, and it's not a problem in Israel. So how can the United States do better? Because they, they need to. Well, I think this is the thing as well, you know, and we're going to talk, we're going to talk a lot about the view from Israel and, and, you know, of course, also the view from scripture about the interrelationship between Israel, the land, the epicenter, you know, its neighbors, but also the United States and, and the Christian community, the evangelical community here who take the Bible seriously and who take biblical prophecy seriously. And, and, you know, one of the lessons we can learn, I think, from Israel is just what you said, which is border security, national integrity, the definition of protecting one's people from evil, from terror, is one of the primary considerations that the U.S. can learn from Israel. I mean, let's, let's begin. Yeah, and, and from the Bible. I've gone into, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah like, for survival. So it's interesting. There's two Probably the two most famous, there are others, but the two most famous examples of a wall to protect a city mm-hmm. would be, number one, of course, Nehemiah. In the story of Nehemiah, he, he is tasked with rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. Why? To protect the people inside from Arab terrorists. It literally, Geshem the Arab is mentioned. I'm not saying that all Arabs are terrorists. Don't, you know, Anyone who's listened to this podcast knows that. But I'm just saying literally in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah is the governor, essentially, and he's organizing everybody to build a wall in 52 days because the capital is at risk. And Geshem the Arab is one of the leaders of the terrorist forces that are trying to, uh, you know, break it. So that's an example. Look, I'm not saying if you can find other nicer ways than building walls, but that is certainly a biblical example. The other example, of course, is is uh, Jericho. And that's the famous example where God was saying to the enemies of Israel, the people of Jericho at that time, you built a wall to keep yourself safe, even though you're defying the living God. I'm going to bring those walls down. <laughs> and so uh, we all know the story of uh, uh, Joshua and, and and bringing down the walls of Jer- Jericho by the supernatural act of God. But I'm just saying the idea of, of leaders protecting their people from mm-hmm. threats, external threats by using mm-hmm. walls is not unbiblical. Now, democracies can choose to do them or not. I'm just saying it's a very uh, Middle Eastern thing, and it's a very biblical thing. And uh, right now you have 5.7 million people have tried to illegally – well, they have illegally entered the United States just since January 2021. Yeah, That's an invasion. And, uh, yeah, several million have been apprehended, but several million have not. They, 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 They escaped or they were let go. And what's going on at that border, terrorism is a threat, but also drug cartels. You know, fentanyl is 50 times 
more deadly than heroin, 50 times. And in the last two years, 400 million doses of fentanyl have come in. That's enough to that's, kill that's everyone. One dose, that's more than one dose per American to kill every American just with wow. fentanyl. Okay. Wow. And then you have human trafficking of vulnerable women, vulnerable girls, vulnerable boys and men, and human slavery. This is a crisis, but it also has a Middle Eastern dimension. It has an epicenter dimension because terrorists are trying to exploit that open border. And some of them have been caught, but who hasn't? And what are they planning? Wow. Well, Joel, we're going to, we're going to, I want to unpack a lot more of the, the practical implications and maybe some of the historical analysis of, of what, what walls mean and everything. But, you know, what are, what are some, maybe some off your head, uh, some biblical examples of, of situations where, where nations did not recognize or, or maintain their borders well and, and that some damage occurred when in the Old Testament, people from other nations, you know, were living and doing things. I, I can recall some, some of the stories. Anything pop in your mind over that? Well, you know, I guess I start with the fact that uh, on the good side, <laughs> there wasn't a wall around uh, the land of Canaan when right. God parted right. the Jordan River and the entire nation of Israel, more than two million people, entered the land. Now, from the perspective of the Canaanites, they probably thought, wow, we should have had a wall at the border. Yeah, we, They thought that they didn't need a wall, right? Because they thought that the Jordan River was the barrier that would prevent 2 million people from entering their country and taking it over. And the walls they had around Jericho didn't work, not because the 2 million people knew how to tear it down, because they walked around the city seven times and they blew trumpets because God told them to and sang and shouted and uh, God brought the walls down. So uh, walls are, are important for security throughout the, the ancient Near East, uh, yeah. but they're not foolproof because God uh, can't be stopped by yeah. anything if he doesn't want to be. And so uh, those are a few examples, um, but uh, yeah, there are others. What are you yes. thinking of? Well, you know, I'm thinking also of, you know, among uh, the, uh, after the conquest of the land, you know, the, the Israelites allowed uh, a lot of the pagan peoples to live in and among them with pagan practices, then distorted and distracted the, the children of Israel from their true worship of God. And, and ultimately those those things persisted over generations and continued to be a, a, an Achilles heel for Israel. I, I wonder, I mean, certainly this nation, America, has been built on legal and exciting perspective on, on immigration. I mean, we, we are a nation of immigrants. And we, I mean, my grandparents emigrated here, yours uh, from another part of the world. Uh, we're friends today. We speak the same language. We have common uh, culture because we understand what it means to assimilate people well as this. But this right. is different, isn't it? I mean, this is, I think you use the term invasion. And in, in many ways, there are people coming into this country through these, this porous border, this, this broken border that are not committed to the American dream. Uh, they're committed to the destruction of the American dream and maybe even the biblical destruction of Israel. Well, I agree with you that uh, we are, you and I are both uh, children of immigrants. Um, my father is a first generation American whose parents and grandparents, as we've discussed on other podcasts, escaped as Orthodox Jews out of Russia where uh, horrible persecution of the Jews were happening, killings, rapes, murders, and they came to America for freedom. So I believe in the American dream. I'm grateful for the uh, Statue of Liberty and my 
family on, on my father's side were the huddled masses yearning to be free. There was a legal process, though. You couldn't just come. You had to fill out paperwork. You had to make your case. You had to be interviewed. You had to have uh, medical exams. You couldn't be perceived as a threat to the country, either that you were bringing in a disease or, or some you know, foreign ideology or, or whatever. And, uh, and that's, you know, obviously that's an age without computers. They couldn't cross check. You know, the Russians would have told them, oh, no, these Jews are terrible. Like, don't let them in, you know. But, but look, America has had a, an open heart and it remains having an open heart. I also, well, on my mom's side, I should say, they also came uh, from Europe, in case from England, for religious freedom, but they came before the Revolutionary War. Uh, my, my mother isn't, but she could be. She's eligible to be a what's called a daughter of, Amer- of the American Revolution because her family they came are. way before. So they predate the actual American nation as, as, as United States of America. But I'm also an immigrant here to Israel. Yeah, we have strong borders. You can't just walk into Israel. Uh, but you can apply and you can be interviewed and they can decide whether to let you in or not. And that's what I did. So I believe, you believe in legal immigration. The problem is illegal immigration. And I'll just finalize that point by saying this. I I think it's fair to say that most of the 5.7 million people that have tried to enter the United States illegally don't probably, probably don't mean the United States harm. They are, they are yearning to be free. But by definition, they're not doing this legally. There is a process. It's not an easy process, but nor should it be. Um, The United States should know who it's letting in and decide if you meet the criteria. But if you don't do that, you're breaking the law. And that is already a problem. But then some people are exploiting it because they don't want they're not going to give a fake passport if you're a terrorist to, you know, United Airlines or Delta in some country and then. They're going to get caught, probably. So they're they're thinking of all the loopholes that got filled, all the gaps that got filled since 9-11. How, if, if you were a terrorist, how would you get into the United States? Well, why work so hard? Why not just walk across the U.S., California, or Mexican, or whatever border? Almost nobody's going to stop you. And that is a mistake because it's very, very dangerous. And God forbid some 9-11 or worse event happen. But that's what I really actually worry about more. I'm more worried about U.S. national security right now because of the border crisis than Israeli security at the moment. And that's with 1,400 rockets just having been fired. So that's saying something. Well, it is. And uh, we got to take a break right now. But I want to come back and talk about why some of this misunderstanding about from U.S. leaders about the nature of this kind of border security, and why it plays such an important role in Israel and in uh, the epicenter overall. So we're going to come back in just a minute, Joel. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. 
Our verse of the day today is found in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead peaceful and quiet lives, godly and dignified in every way. Our prayer requests today are to pray for our leaders, that God continues to grant them wisdom to make the right decisions in protecting the people of the United States. And second, pray that all evil coming through our southern border will fail and not prosper in our nation. Well, Joel, we're back, and uh, I'm bugged by this question about uh, the, the leadership in the U.S., misunderstanding the nature and threat of evil that we have at the border. I mean, you and I have both been many times, uh, at least myself, I'm sure you have as well, to to Mexico. Mexico is a wonderful country. There's amazing culture, amazing people there, and certainly one of the most vibrant churches in all of Latin America. And yet there are these things called ungoverned spaces, and there is obviously the great scourge that they have in society of the cartels, the drug cartels that operate with with relative impunity in these places. Why do you think that are some leaders in the U.S.? I'm not going to name names here. I'm not going to get political about this. But why do you think some leaders in the U.S. misunderstand the nature of that? Well, I don't know how to answer that question without going into the specifics of, of the specific, because different leaders have different views. But it, it is astonishing to me. I'll just say it in a nonpartisan way. If you know that 400 million uh, doses of, of the most deadly drug I, I think we know of, uh, fentanyl, is pouring into your country, a dose, more than enough doses to kill every American. If you know that human traffickers, that human slavery thugs and, and, and you know, are seizing upon, are preying upon the most vulnerable people, why, why would you let it happen? I mean, I, I really don't have a fundamental answer to that because it doesn't make sense. I mean, and then there's the terrorist thing. I mean, after 9-11, we had a bipartisan unity that I'd never seen. Everybody in the country, everybody in Washington worked together. Uh, you know, President George W. Bush, I'm just going to say, because, you know, he he only won the election in 2000 by a 500 plus votes and a Supreme Court decision. That was a divided country. But on 9-12, the country was as unified as I'd ever seen it in my lifetime. Uh, obviously, it, it didn't stay that way. but but the the intention to stop terrorists, to plug holes, to move quickly, to make decisions, even if they were imperfect decisions and sort of had to be course corrected later, that was real. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I don't see that now. And I mm-hmm. uh, somebody asked me on CBN, I just did an interview about my new book, The Libyan Diversion, because that's the, the center premise of the, of the Libyan Diversion, this new novel I got out this month, is about what if terrorists snuck into the United States through the Mexican border and brought in nuclear dirty bombs to pull off uh, mass casualty attacks far worse than 9-11. So that's why I'm thinking about it a lot. But I, I'm just saying I was interviewed on CBN News yesterday and Gordon Robertson, the host of the 700 Club, he asked me specifically, well, do you, do you think it'll take a, a 9-11 type horrific attack to get bipartisan unity again on this, to, to, to seal up mm, that border? And I said, question. well, I hope not. I don't want us to be reacting to something that horrible that happens. Part of the reason I wrote the book and I'm talking about it, you know, even if people don't want to buy the book, that's fine, but, or get it at the library. But anyway, the, but the, my point is this matters to me. And the question is, how do we talk about it before 
a cataclysmic attack happens, not how do we react to a cataclysmic attack after it happens. After 9-11, I think everybody was asking, wow, we never saw this was a possible threat, so we wouldn't have known how to plug the gaps before. But no one will say that. I don't think any president, party, any person will will be forgiven by the American people if a 9-11-esque or worse attack or series of attacks happens and, and we find out these are people that just walked in when we weren't paying attention. I, I don't think that will f- fly. And um, yeah, yeah and, and, I'm, I'm very and worried. A, and on a human level, the, the devastation would be, you know, again, uh, exponentially greater than uh, what happened uh, at 9-11. And, and honestly, I wish, I mean, if we could roll the clock back to midsummer 2001, when you were writing uh, your book and when yeah. uh, The Last Jihad was published, if people had understood what you were able to uh, sort of connect the dots on as far as a means of that sort of terror activity happening and and made that we, you know, we may have been more sensitive to the intelligence that we did have before 9-11. And maybe there's a similar lesson to be learned now. Right. Secretary of State, or maybe she was a national security advisor at the time, Condoleezza Rice and others said, you know, we never, nobody ever imagined this. And you're right. I had already imagined it and had written it, but it wasn't, the, the book wasn't published yet, but but and I'm not I'm not a military guy I'm not a spy I don't work for the I don't I, you know I got this mug um, because uh, I have friends nice. who work for the CIA yes. but anyway um, <laughs> it's not you know it's not really me I, I just make things up for a living but but if I could figure it out then it wasn't rocket science and uh, you know it's interesting Carl there's a connection here between the Joshua Fund and this new book now the Joshua Fund I, you know admittedly is a nonprofit organization it's a religious organization it doesn't help me write books I don't mean that but. When we had the event uh, for the uh, sure. an epicenter briefing for our yes. major donors in Washington on the weekend of the 9-11 anniversaries in September of 2021, mm-hmm. that was an amazing event that, uh, that you put together at the Museum of the Bible. And you and I were talking about, well, who would be an interesting person to give a perspective on what's going on in Israel and the broader Middle East, but also it is the 20th anniversary of 9-11 we should pick somebody to speak to us that has a unique perspective on that. And, and, and are things getting better? Are things getting worse? Like, and so you and I talk, we're talking about a number of different names, but we, we settled on uh, former CIA director, former secretary of state, Mike Pompeo. And yep. you encouraged me to reach out to, to Pompeo. We were, we've been friends. He's been a fan of my novels and I did. And he said, yes. And that event was fascinating. We should probably put a link to the video or even a yeah. clip. In yeah, we this. Have that. And, Long story short, you know, I interviewed him that night, as you'll recall, but for our viewers who may not have seen that, in fact, that could be a whole podcast in and of itself. We may sort of recycle it. But we, we, you know, we talked about the Iran threat. We talked about the threat of ISIS and Al Qaeda and, of course, Russia and China and North Korea. But then towards the end of the evening, I asked Secretary Pompeo, is there something I haven't asked you, essentially, like that I hadn't thought of? Like, what what keeps you up at night? What, What worries you? about a U.S. national security that, that most of us are not thinking about. And he really surprised me. Um, uh, I think the, the Holy Spirit prompted that question because I don't think it was, I don't think I'd planned for that. But Pompeo said that he worries about ungoverned spaces in northern Mexico. You used mm-hmm. that phrase a moment ago. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I asked him, well, what do you mean by that? He goes, well, I mean that Mexico is a wonderful country, but the Mexican government is effectively surrendering large swaths of the border with the United States to drug cartels, to human traffickers, to 
organized crime syndicates. And that's why it's so important to keep that border safe, because it's not like you have friendly people on one side making sure everything is kosher, as we say. <laughs> and if, if you've got two governments cooperating together, great. But he said they're not cooperating together right now, and people are just flooding in. I'd have to go back and look at the tape. I don't recall if he specifically focused on terrorism. Those other three were bad enough. But I remember thinking over the next few weeks and months, that's really scary. And I'm going to use that as a worst case scenario to write a novel about it and uh, and imagine sort of play it out as a war game. Well, what if? What if it? Ha- what if people snuck in who were terrorists and they brought in dirty nuclear bombs? How might that play out? And when I had uh, Pompeo on uh, the Rosenberg report recently, I realized that I hadn't even told him that I'd written the Libyan diversion based on the conversation that we had uh, in that uh, epicenter briefing at the Museum of the Bible for the Joshua Fund. So uh, I mentioned that to him and we, we had a good conversation about the, the real risks of the border. But yeah, it, it, I, yeah, I think it's something we have to pray about because yeah. we love it when Israelis or Emiratis or Jordanians, Egyptians, whoever they are, come visit the United States, come see the land of opportunity, the greatest superpower in world history. If you come legally, we, we would, you know, it's a very welcoming country, but but I am worried that the, the intersection of the epicenter and that southern border yeah. is not going to be fiction much longer. And, yeah. and uh, I, well, I'm just trying to use what few skills and tools I have, <laughs> novel writing being one of them, to sort of get the word out and get people thinking, sure. yeah, we sure. got we to gotta pray that God protects the American people. Well, I know this. For every book I've read of yours, there's always been a part of me that gets this chill down my spine going, oh, man, if that happened. And you've always said, we're going to talk a lot more about how you came to this new book, The Libyan Diversion, and uh, what it means for our unique moment in history right now between the U.S. and, uh, and Israel. But we're going to talk about that in a future podcast. But I, I, want to, I, want to, I want to talk a little bit, maybe get our attention on the idea of walls for a second, because, again, walls are not a bad thing. And we are certainly not saying here that uh, the U.S., if we have a border security arrangement that we somehow feel Mexico as a nation is a bad actor. It's, it's not quite the same as, as, as a national threat on our border. There is a national threat on our border, but it's not from the country of Mexico. It's from these cartels and the ungoverned well, spaces I, I, and, the, I and the borders. I that, okay. Carl. I, I, I'm well, not sure that's true. And, okay. I, and, and and that conversation with Pompeo has got me thinking. I, I'm, I'm not ready to draw a conclusion, but if but if a country, if a sovereign country doesn't sovereignly control its own borders, mm-hmm. and is decided to become a pass through for millions upon millions of people, including drug runners, human traffickers, terrorists, and organized criminals, then you are an enemy. Now, at the moment, we think of Mexico as a friend, and you're right. I've been there. I love. I, we've, we've gone on vacation there. But I am rethinking – they're not innocent. The government of Mexico is not innocent in this and any more than the government of Afghanistan or Libya is or Yemen, where if you create an environment where bad, evil actors flourish and godly or at least just normal, regular people are in danger and you're endangering your neighbors, I think at some point you have to say that's an enemy, not an ally. And I think – Mexico has to be challenged very strongly. You have to make a choice. Are you America's ally or are you an enemy? Because you cannot just keep turning a blind eye. The Constitution of the United States, I actually looked this up. 
The Constitution states this. In Article 4, Section 4, it designates that the, the president of the United States and the federal government, it's one of its defined constitutional responsibilities, obligations, is to protect the American people and the states from invasion. Mm-hmm. That's the word that's used, invasion. Yeah. Well, if multiple governments over time, multiple presidents, multiple administrations won't do it, and it's getting worse and worse and worse, I mean, I'll just, I won't go further on this well, podcast, but I'll say that's a dereliction of duty. Like that's, that's literally stated. You have to protect the states from invasion. invasion. And I don't yeah. see it. And, and many Americans don't see it. And when I see here all the challenges we have, but we do not, we do not have an invasion. Nobody's just coming into the country and we don't know who they are in Israel. It's, it'll never happen. Yeah. Well, it's been the case. And that's a very good point you make that there is, there's almost a sense in which the, uh, the, the, the current administration in the U.S. is uh, willfully blind to this crisis. And correspondingly, the nation of Mexico is, I, I hate to say the term, you know, narco state, but it's gotten to a point where there's, there's so much corruption that it's hard to understand where the government begins and, and ends and where the cartels power begins and ends in some of the, the areas. That's why we call them these ungoverned states. But, but you know, right. I think and, 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 and to underscore your point, that doesn't mean all the Mexican people right. want That's, that. In fact, I think a lot of Mexican people are, are horrified. But what are they supposed yes. to do? And, and yeah. that's, uh, that's why we need to pray. We're not helpless. We have a God who, is, who acts sovereignly and is more powerful. And, and the, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. And he can turn it like a channel of water wherever he wants. And we, we need to pray that there's, you know, God changes the heart of the leadership in, in Washington so that they take their constitutional responsibilities as strongly as they can, but also changes the heart of the Mexican leadership. And I would say other leaders up and down Central and South America um, who are basically passing off problems yeah. to the United States. Yeah. Well, you know, the uh, some will make the, the comparison between uh, the context of a, of a southern border wall in the U.S. Versus, uh, and the uh, the Berlin Wall or the wall that was uh, in Eastern Europe, you know, in the in the days of the Cold War. And the reality is, uh, any thoughtful thinking about that comparison is laughable, because those walls were erected to literally imprison and keep people in, versus protect and provide for security and safety of the people in the, in the Southern border. So uh, I've, you and I both had the opportunity to cross that Berlin wall, uh, you know, back in the days of communism. And we saw the guards that were there. Why were the guards there? They weren't there to keep West Germans out of East Germany. They were there to keep East Germans under lock and key. And they and, shot people. And they, they shot people. Or their own people that tried to get out. Just Google like, it. Just, no just go on YouTube. Shot for getting on a plane and going some other country. But yeah. But they were shooting people. You watch the movie Bridge of Spies. And oh, my goodness. Sort of, uh, the most recent updated version of that was terrifying. It's terrifying. And it was terrifying for those of us who were going across the border, as you remember, to uh, bring good news and and the and the yeah. God's word to to people on the other side when that was illegal. Right. <laughs> um, but, right. but, you know, the fact of the matter is we are, we're at a crisis point in so many dimensions on the world stage right now. And that's why I think it's so important that you do write uh, novels, thrillers that uh, take scenarios that haven't yet come to pass or, you know, are p- potential 
Um, as I said, we're going to, we're going to give a lot more to this in, in a future podcast, but, I, but I think again, it's worth people hearing how these things intersect that our concern about border security is not just because we care about the U S which we do, but, but that we also recognize that there's an intimate link between global terrorism and the world that, that we currently live in, and especially you live in, in the middle East, uh, with these rocket attacks and various other things. And, what's taking place uh, with Israel's greatest ally, the United States. And, and we are already in a conflict. I mean, some would call it a war. Um, we used to call it the war on terrorism, but, you know, yeah. we're in that conflict now. To maybe comment a little bit about how you see these things intersecting a little bit more on the world stage. Sure. Well, a couple of thoughts uh, in no particular order. First, again, I go back a point I made early on in the podcast. I don't think that even many American evangelicals realize that all these rockets that get fired at us in Israel is because we have a wall. It's actually a reaction. So, so the terrorists are trying to kill us. And if they can't walk across the border, they will look for other ways, either going over with rockets and missiles or under through terror tunnels. And, and so that's applicable in the United States too. Just because you seal up a hole doesn't mean people won't try to get around it. But okay, then then we invented the Iron Dome. Why? Because rockets were coming and we thought, well, we have to shoot those rockets down. And so Israel is has the best rocket defense system on the planet, uh, shooting down more than 90% of the rockets that are fired at us. So that's the job. That's the job of the government, the central government, the, the national government. And that's that's not a job that's given to them by uh, Aristotle, you know, or <laughs> Burke or whatever. God states in the Old Testament and the New, in the New, clearest in Romans 13, that God has instituted governments, even imperfect governments, to protect the people from evil. And that's why the government is allowed to wield the sword, meaning to, to, to use force, lethal force, to protect people, right? Um, you're not supposed to go shoot up uh, a church, but when the police come, they might have to shoot to kill. Why? But if you think, well, what's the difference? There's a difference. The state actor, that the government, is working to protect innocent people and terrorists or criminals are trying to kill innocent people. There's a difference. And that's a biblical difference. It's a stated biblical difference. And when there's a moral fog in a nation or its leaders, then those, those distinctions that are God given are blurry. I mean, I'll give you another example, just because it's a corollary, how foggy things have gotten in the United States where national leaders are not able or willing to state that there are men and there are women. <laughs> Golly. They, they literally yeah. act. I, 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 you know, I can't judge the sincerity. I can only judge what they're saying and what they're doing. They're saying, we don't know. And, and we think you can choose to change. And even little children should be allowed without their parents' permission to emasculate themselves or, you know, whatever. And you think, well, no wonder they don't understand the border. <laughs> they, they don't understand you know, America's fighting right now over the first three chapters of Genesis. You know, oh. I talk a lot about Revelation and the end time prophecy, but America's in a fight right now over, is there a God? Mm -hmm. Did he create the universe? Did he create men and women? Is life precious in the womb? Mm -hmm. Are there something important called men? Is there something important called women? And is there something that's important worth protecting called the, the institution of marriage between one man and one woman. Those are so fundamental that you, you're finished with them by chapter three. 
Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Of the Bible. But what America is is fundamentally wrestling with whether those things are true. And so it's not surprising that more and more people are confused on so many issues, including the role of the government. And um, Christians ought to understand these things. Uh, because of our understanding of scriptures, right? We said from the first podcast, the first podcast is what is an evangelical? <laughs> and number one on the list, we, you know, top four answers on the board, let's play family feud <laughs> at the top. And the number one answer is that we hold the Bible as our highest authority. Yeah, yeah. The Bible has the answers for the questions we're asking. And so, you know, and then you, know, you go on, you know, Israel's at the 75th anniversary, yeah. but there's tremendous tension between the, the American president and the Israeli prime minister right now. The Israeli prime minister isn't even being invited to come visit Washington to talk about the Iran nuclear threat and other serious issues we face. Yeah. I, again, yeah, I'm not trying to be a inconvenience. I'm just trying to explain yeah. Yeah. as people yeah. that I'm not willing to make artificial distinctions and not mention some things that people are like, hey, the 75th anniversary of Israel, that's a good thing, right? Yes, it is. Is Israel perfect? It is not. That's right. Uh, come over and I will show you. No, I mean, yes. come over anyway, and we'll show you the good things. But right. yes, we have we have problems. I'm open about them. I talk about them on All Israel News, on this podcast, on the Rosenberg Report, in my books. I'm not afraid to, to, to roll out Israel's dirty laundry on various issues. The whole entire Bible does that. Uh, but I would add one other thing, and that is Ezekiel 33. Ezekiel 33 is very interesting because it also talks about walls. Mm-hmm. God says that he's appointing Ezekiel to be the watchman where? On the wall. Yes. Meaning in the ancient times where you didn't have satellites and, uh, you know, spy planes and drones, the highest point you could have to look to see if there was a, a threat coming was the walls of the city. Yes. So not only do you have walls to protect, but you also have people up there watching, hello, do I see a threat coming? And if you do, and you're a watchman, you can't personally stop that army or band of marauders or whatever, but you can you can blow the trumpet and sound the alarm so that the rest of the city can mobilize and protect itself and, and also get spiritually right with God. That is the role that Ezekiel had. And God is showing that spiritually there is a role within ancient Israel, but also within the church today, we can we can draw those lessons. There's a role of people who spend their time watching what's going on in the world and in the church, and then warning what's happening. And I think that's a lost art, a lost calling in many ways. And I think it's something that the Joshua Fund uh, in, our, in our very charter and our mandate seeks to do. Yes. yes, to educate people about God's heart, for Israel and the neighbor, but also to see and warn, right? What do we see after 9-11, all the signs yeah. in the airport? See something, say something. Say something. You, you're not the one who can stop it or diffuse the, you're, you open up the suitcase that you're thinking, that's weird. Why is that there? Let the police come and do that, but say yes. something. Don't just say, well, I, you know, I saw it all. Some guy left it there and then never came back. And I thought, well, well what am I going to do? You know, say something. And that's, that's a biblical mandate. And it's part of the Joshua Fund charter. And, um, we're trying to do it faithfully. Well, uh, Joel, I'm so glad you brought that point up at, the, at this last point here, because I think that is uh, one of our unique callings as the Joshua Fund to to be watchmen on the wall, to be able to, I love your term of connect the dots, to take seriously what's happening in the world around us, but at the same time, take the scriptures very seriously and to make sure that those that, that through line 
is is made clear. And that's really what we mean at the Joshua Fund by education. We're we're not we're not a school. We don't grant degrees or anything, but we right. do try to help people see the underlying reality of biblical truth with historical uh, events, with current geopolitical events, and to and to kind of point people in a direction that that causes them, as the scripture says, to take to take heart, to to look up, to to have hope in the midst of a lot of chaos. And and you know what? I think we've talked about a lot of chaos today. We've talked a lot about the evil that surrounds us, but at the same time, we do know that the end of the book is written with just as much truth as as the challenges that we face. At the end of the book, we know that God's God's reign, God's uh, plan is is sovereign. So uh, I just want to end with that. But any last words that you might have uh, for this podcast? Because we're going to spend a lot more time about how you got to the new novel, the Libyan diversion, how you you know came about with thinking about that. Um, but but uh, maybe talk a little bit about that role that we have at the Joshua Fund of Education and being a watchman as we conclude. Yeah. No. I think I think I think I've covered it. You've covered it. Um, it's. Uh... It's an honor. And, and in my life, I'll just close with this. I'm trying multiple uh, ways to communicate to people, to educate people, to to inspire, encourage, exhort, but also to warn. And Joshua Fund is one element of that. The uh, All Israel News and All Arab News is an element of that. The, the Rosenberg Report is an element of that. The novels and the book tours that come from me before me are, are part of my overall plan, which is People receive information differently. They, some people want to be entertained, but they're willing to be educated if they're if you entertain them. That's not the main role of the Joshua Fund, right? It, but but so I think it's important in the in the realm of education to have a, a sort of a smorgasbord and let people have multiple ways they could absorb the information. This podcast is one of them. Why didn't we start a podcast in 2006 when we started? I don't know. We didn't have this idea. I didn't even you think they existed. <laughs> Somebody had had it before you came, but but we it just didn't sort of click. But you came. You knew what we what you wanted to do, and I was like, great, let's give it a whirl. And now you know, I don't. know, There's millions and millions of people who've yeah. who've listened to this, and so apparently it's helping. It, it, yeah. And people are resonating. So I'm grateful to have a range in the Joshua Fund or Arsenal or within mine in the toolkit, let's say not maybe toolkit. Arsenal is not yeah. a great, it's not a great word for the region we're talking uh, about. Yeah. Yeah. But in, <laughs> in our toolkit, different ways of, of connecting with people. And I, and I think that's a good thing. Yeah, me too. Me too. And, and I'm so grateful for all of our listeners to the uh, reception that they've had for this podcast and for the, for your books, uh, for the, you know, the, the work that we're doing around the world and, and uh, again, Joel, thank you for your time on this podcast. And and to our audience, if if you'd like to learn more about what uh, God is doing through the Joshua Fund, visit our website, joshuafund.com. And there you can learn about what God is doing in the Middle East through us to bless Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus and how you can participate in the healing work we're doing in this critical region. As always, you can check out our show notes for anything you heard on this podcast that you'd like more information on. For Joel Rosenberg, I'm Carl Muller. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Epicenter. Hi, this is Joel Rosenberg, founder and chairman of the Joshua Fund. And I've got exciting news. In 2023, I'm inviting you on behalf of our entire board and staff to come to the Holy Land, to come to Israel on the next prayer and vision tour. This is the 75th anniversary 
of the prophetic rebirth of the modern state of Israel back in 1948. And what is God doing here? It's amazing, spiritually, economically, in so many ways. There's been so much growth, so much progress, but the best is yet to come. And we want you to see it. We want you to walk where Jesus walked. We want you to see where the apostles ministered. We want you to see where people's lives were transformed by the love of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. We want you to see this city where Jesus died and rose again and where he's coming back, I hope soon. But in the meantime, come to Israel with the Joshua Fund. You can learn more about the trip, the itinerary, the cost, all the details at joshuafund.com. But sign up quickly because I think this thing is going to fill up fast. The Prayer and Vision Tour of Israel in the fall of 2023. I hope to see you there. Hello, hello, Quinice Petway here, co-host of the Your Daily Bible Verse podcast. Are you someone who loves to take a deep dive into God's word one verse at a time to explore his will for your life and desire to draw closer to him? If that sounds like you, I'd love to invite you to head over to lifeaudio.com and search Your Daily Bible Verse to tune in and subscribe for daily inspiration, life application, and spiritual transformation through the in-depth exploration of God's Word.